This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome in to episode 156 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. The Bruins are now up to 80 points on the year. It's January 24th. You heard that correct. They're 38-5-4. Six straight wins, 9-1-1, or 9-1-0, pardon me, in their last 10 games. Their latest win was obviously up in Montreal tonight, beating the Canadians. Now, Montreal... They were struggling this year as it was even at full health. So you can imagine that having a depleted roster with about 10 or 11 guys on the shelf, maybe it's an easy win. But to Montreal's credit, they they worked hard tonight and made the Bruins earn the two points. Um, Scott and Bridget, your initial takeaways from their first game against the Habs this year. Yeah, I didn't think the Bruins played great, but they definitely still played well enough to win. They still controlled play for pretty long stretches. And like you said, Montreal to their credit, like I thought definitely played over their talent level. You know, they still obviously weren't anywhere close to being in the Bruins class, but they weren't the total. Like if you just looked at that roster on paper, you know, with all the injuries they have, especially with Cole Caulfield out, their leading scorer, like you'd be like, yeah, that's a, that's a pushover. Like you're facing a, an, an AHL team and maybe not even a very good one at that. To the Canadians' credit, like they they brought a good effort, and you know, I thought where you and even like the power play, I thought that was one area early on where it was like, oh, that's clearly this is clearly a power play unit that hasn't practiced much together. Like they looked awful, and then they even figured that out and they end up scoring a power play goal, you know, on a little bit of a fortunate bounce. So, um, yeah, the Bruins have said it like they're going to get every team's best effort pretty much every night, like. If you're any team, any player in the league, how would you not be totally jacked up for a Bruins game at this point? Like, yeah, especially if you're out of the playoffs, it's like, you know, you're not playing meaningful games every night. So if you're going to get up for any of them, like, of course, it's going to be the Bruins game. Um, Sam Montembeau, who has actually been playing really well for the Canadians in goal. uh, I thought it was great tonight, even though it ended. 
you know, he ends up giving up three goals, but I, I thought he was really good. Um, and from, from the Bruins end, Swayman really solid again, uh, you know, continues his hot stretch where we're now on like a two month stretch where it isn't just Linus Allmark is the best goalie in the league. It's like Swayman's been just as hot. You look at their numbers and he's been just as good as Allmark over like the last month and a half. Um, it's crazy. Postnock gets four points. And I, it was funny. I tweeted, like, I feel like he's kind of having a little bit of an off night. He made a couple really sloppy passes, a couple of like careless turnovers, and he still ends up with four points. Uh, and, and then obviously Bergeron gets the winner. And it's like, all right, this is what the Bruins do, even when they're a little off. Like, they just stick to it, and they finally break through in the third period, get the late win from Bergeron, and take the two points. Yeah, and Scott, we were like, oh, you know, maybe we shouldn't go to Montreal this year. It's probably not going to be like, you know, it's not going to be the same as the old rivalry. But it seemed like it would have been a fun game to go to and a fun game to cover there if we had gone. We were worried about the weather and that the matchup was going to be just not close. But then but then closer, the closer you got to game time, you're like, well, honestly, though, they're probably still going to put up a, a decent fight because it's the Canadians. It's a rivalry. I mean, Everybody understands, and you're playing in front of your home crowd. It'd be one thing if it was in Boston, like maybe you don't have the same motivation, but um, you're in front of your home crowd that came out to watch Bruins Canadians, and there's just so much history there that you'd want to like respect it, I guess. And they didn't play a bad game. They really did give them their best um, that they could have, and Montembeau had a really good game. Uh, Bergeron mentioned it. He said he kept them in the game, uh, and he did. He did. Swayman, I thought, played good as well, and, and to Scott's point about – both of them being, you know, top in the league. This this was tweeted before the game, or not tweeted, um, put on the NHL's Instagram before the game, but the top goalies of the previous week were Jeremy Swayman and Linus Allmark, both with under, like, right around 0.5 goals against average in, last week. So um, that's where we're at. They they have two of the, the hottest goalies. They have two of the most solid goalies. And there's been times where coach has said most teams would be happy to just have one. And here we are sitting here going, wow, I can't believe they actually legitimately have two guys that could start. I still think Allmark is the the better of the two as of right now. But I can't remember a goalie pair playing both when both of them were playing this well at the same time. Like I remember there was a time when Tuka and Thomas were both playing really well and kind of taking opportunities back and forth from each other. But even in that season, which was that 2010, um, they were, they were clearly times when one was better than the other. And right now, like, I feel like it's not as obvious. It's like, no, these are both top caliber goalies right now. Yeah. Raskin Halak had a stretch like that where, you know, it it wasn't a 50, 50 split, but Halak would come in and like, he was playing like one of the best goalies in the league when he did get in. I, th- I think that was that might have been the year that eventually went into the bubble because I think that was why initially people had a lot of confidence in Halak when he had to take over for Rask and obviously things didn't didn't quite work out in the end but he he had had a really good stretch like that most of that season but never were both of those goalies yeah. this good like these are the two best goalies in the league as of right now like it's it was never to that extent only because neither of them were the top guy. You know what I mean? Like they weren't putting up those exact, this kind of, these kind of numbers. Um, 
it's a good problem to have. I guess it's not really a problem at all. So um, it just continues to be a, a pair, a goalie tandem that and I think Montgomery said after the game I don't know where we would be without them and it's true like you have the luxury of we talk about the fact that they haven't been able to have any load management because you know some guys might be reluctant for load management but you're able to get it in the goaltending position um and it's it's going to be important uh as good as Montembeau was like you guys mentioned uh and he, and he he was phenomenal uh no doubt kept Montreal in the game obviously the Bruins had like a I felt like a three to one shot advantage for the first half of the game against Montreal. But that said, uh, the first half of the game for Boston, I definitely thought that, you know, when you play a team that's so inferior to you and despite Montreal's best effort tonight, uh, when you play a team that's that much beneath you, it can go one of two ways. It can go like it did against San Jose where you're just the globetrotters, globetrotters out there and you just do whatever you want, or it can, be sloppy because your opponent's kind of all over the map. And I, I kind of felt like the Bruins Montreal was just kind of dragging the Bruins into that sloppy turnover game early on. And I thought the Bruins were a little bit careless with the puck at times in the first half of the game, but they certainly uh, addressed that midway through and were much better going forward uh, and to close out the game. And 82 game season as good as Boston's been this year. And it's remarkable and it is historic. Uh, there's going to be, there's going to be games where um, you're off for a little bit here and there. So it's no big deal. And and honestly, like considering who the Bruins are playing in, in the next uh, three to four nights or um, three to four games, it's almost like it was probably a good matchup to have tonight to kind of like, you know, just get those kinks out on the road after traveling and kind of like, like, all right, like we, we got away with it against Montreal, but we're not going to get away with um, not that they had a bad start, but you, you get they just got to play on their toes um, when they um, when they face Tampa, Florida, Carolina and Toronto. Yeah, and uh, also worth mentioning, I think one of the most important developments in this game is Taylor Hall ended his goal at Strout, uh, gets his first goal in 16 games. Um, you know, we had talked about him on the last podcast, how he still had some good games during that stretch. You know, Jim Montgomery had said Sunday, he thought he had a really good game that night. Yeah. Uh, And he said it was only a matter of time and it really did feel like that. Yes. And no, like I thought he was playing well, but then tonight, like I was looking up, um, you know, stuff like expected goals, like individual expected goals and his, his had been down like he hadn't been getting as many chances as he was earlier in the season and you know that there's still some bad luck involved because yeah, i was gonna say it just right. felt like it felt like those chances were missed like missed for him just because he got so many bad bounces like one of these times he was gonna get a good bounce and he did today yeah so and, and i thought he had a, another good game all around just bes- you know besides the goal but uh to get that goal is big like when when you're a player like hall you yeah, you can stick to the rest of your game. You can, you know, keep plugging away, keep doing the right things. But ultimately, like, you know, part of your job is to score and you want to score and you put that pressure on yourself, no matter, you know, how aware you are of, hey, I'm doing other things well, no matter how much your team's winning. Like, anyone who has had the kind of career Taylor Hall has had, you want to score. You hate going through a drill like this. So, uh, you know, I thought that was, that was, pretty big goal and 
um, just for him on an individual level. And obviously it was important for the Bruins too, because it was still zero zero at the time. And Brian, your question last podcast was, you know, what do the Bruins need to see on this road trip? Or it was, it was something to the degree of like, what, do, what do you want to see out of them on the road trip that they need to do better? And I think my answer was Taylor Hall needs to score and he did it the first game of the road trip. So um, they got that going. Also, I wanted to mention the check line obviously had a good night and I want to highlight Pavel Zaka though, just for a second, because there were times when that line was together, cause they did get split up a little bit. Um, but when that line was together where I felt like Pavel Zaka was like the most dangerous guy on the ice and he was kind of driving play for a little bit of that game where normally you see Krejci being the decision maker and Pasternak being the threat. But I felt like at times I was like, I want him to shoot it right now. He, he was playing really well. Um, and he did great on the penalty kill, forced a turnover, almost scored shorthanded. Um, I thought he was playing better than, than he had, not that he'd been playing bad, but just like he's reached a new level. Zaka looks very comfortable, very comfortable. Obviously, as you alluded to, the points have really started to pile up for him since signing that extension. But even before that, like even even when he was a little bit snake bitten, like you just saw his hockey IQ and you see how we watch him with with Krejci and Pasternak, but like watch him with Krejci in particular because one of Krejci's MO the last, you know, 15, 16 years has been just how well he thinks the game. And you can tell when they're playing together that Zaka's on the same wavelength as Krejci when it comes to, um, you know, um, in transition, like Zaka knows the sweet spot to go because he can sense that Krejci's going to cut to the middle or Krejci's going to slow down or speed up. And Zaka just knows where to get open. And that's just the that's just the, um, the telltale sign of a smart hockey player. And as far as Taylor Hall goes... I just feel like it's going to be very important. I, I can't shake this feeling and and mark it down here on January 24th, but I just can't shake this feeling that like if the Bruins are going to go on this, this special run that we're all hoping that they do, I have this feeling that uh, that Taylor Hall is going to be a huge reason for it, and he's going to have some big goals and some big moments and some, and some hopeful mismatches for the Bruins. And so I'm not necessarily looking for Hall to like be the MVP guy night in and night out that he was in 2017. But like, I just want to see him play with confidence when it matters most this year, because when he's playing with confidence, like you saw tonight, he was able to get the monkey off of his back. And like, he was, he, he was just playing on his toes tonight. He was, he was, he was being, um, he, he was being, an, um, having initiative, and just like come like the way he would just go around a net, like he could just separate so easily when he's on his game. And I think a big part of his game is confidence. He's a very smart player, but he can be his own worst enemy at times. And I think that a goal like tonight will go a long way for him for the next handful of games, dozen games. But he's going to be a big, big factor for them in the playoffs. And hopefully when that time comes, he's playing with confidence. Worth mentioning though, that it came, it didn't come on the third line. It came on the power play. And so like production, I want to see him get the production up when he's playing on that third line with Coyle and Frederick on the ice with him. Yeah. I was just going to say that, like, that's, that's exactly it. Because Brian, like to your point about mismatch mismatches, 
that third line should, if he's on it, like should have a lot of mismatches and should be a very tough matchup for opponents. But they they become that if Hall is putting up points, whether that's scoring or, or setting up Coyle and Frederick. Um, you know, that line can play well and have possession and hold on to pucks in the offensive zone. Like, I think they can do that all day long against pretty much anyone. But then actually converting that into goals is what really takes them to another level and puts them in that conversation of like best third line in the league, which they might be anyways, but it's, you know, when, when they're actually starting to put up goals and, and Hall's producing the way we know he's capable of, like that's when you're really talking about a line that no other team's bottom six can match up with. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You know what else struck me tonight watching this Bruins team is that they can win in so many different ways. They can they can win when they're not when they don't have their A game. And on some nights, they can win if they don't even have their B game. And the same can be said for certain players on the roster. Like, for example, tonight, and maybe the analytics will contradict this, but I thought that David Krejci, especially in the first half of the game, was not great. Uh, I just felt like he was bad in the faceoff circle. I thought he was kind of lackadaisical and a little half-assed with some passes and some turnovers and just kind of seemed like he was a bit lethargic out there. But as the game goes on, he obviously um, gets a nice goal, uh, a, a nice purposeful shot from Pasternak meant for Krejci to tip it. And that's exactly what he did. He, and he out battled his guy in front and was able to get a stick on it and give the Bruins the lead at the time. And what that told me was like, and look, I've watched Krejci for a lot of years, so it's not like I didn't know this already, but it was just, you know, reaffirmation that there are guys in this team too. Like the, the Bruins just have game changers and difference makers and, they don't necessarily have to have their greatest game, but at any moment they can impact the game. And that was another example. And that's another reason why the Bruins are so successful. And like the goaltending is great. I mean, the goaltending is more than great. It's it's very important to have that. And the, the structure the team plays with and the swagger is all great, but they just have, they have game changers. Yeah. And like you saw with the top line too, where, you know, they, I thought, whether it was Smith up there or Pasenak up there, like they had shifts where they had possession and they're creating some chances, but you know, weren't converting into goals, weren't really converting into great grade eight chances. But then all it takes is just, you know, okay, throw out the perfection line for an offensive zone face off in crunch time. Bergeron wins it, you know, get it towards the net and 
boom, you know, game winning goal. Like same sort of idea, you know, like Jim Montgomery had a quote after the game in his Nesson interview where he said like typical Boston Bruins. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what this is becoming. Like you just have guys who, who make a difference when it matters in the third period. And, you know, yeah, that the check line with Krejci tipping the Boston art shot and then the reunited perfection line off a of face off, like both do it in the third tonight. Yeah, Bergeron's goal. And then that, by the way, Pasta was double shifted because he was just out there with the check line and then he stayed on to take the face off. And especially towards the end of the game, you see that, you see Montgomery go to that because he knows like, okay, he, he still has gas in the tank. Let's just use it. Well, we'll especially in a close game, uh, the way it was and it worked out because uh, Bergeron ends up scoring that go-ahead goal with like three minutes left. And then Pasanak gets a goal into the empty net, but um, still not a bad goal. Still he shot it from all the way at center ice. So um, it, it was, it was uh, interesting to see the way that Montgomery kind of tinkered just like in the smallest ways throughout the game, because at one point in the first period, he did have Hall back on the second line, Pasta up on the perfection line and Smith back with Coyle and Frederick for a shift or two. Um, wasn't really that long, but the tinkering was still going on. There was yeah, a lot. lot, lots of, lots of tinkering tonight. A lot of tinkering. <laughs> Montgomery was all over the place. He was having a field day. Like, I mean, Scott, what was the most surprising combo that you saw tonight? I mean, I, I mean, there was, there was Frederick Greer and Copenin. There was, I mean, it was, I think there was, I think every combination yeah. that could have been, there was. You, there was at least one shift with Felino on the top line. There was a, a full Marshan Bergeron Felino shift at one point. So it was Hall, Hall Bergeron and uh, Marshan. Yeah, he he, get, he he did a little bit of everything, and that that's a good thing too. Just it's sprinkling like, it in, yeah, just trying little, it out. Little ice, little ice cream bar. Well, I kind of got the impression, like when he, because he reunited the perfection line like pretty early in the first. It must couldn't have been like more than halfway through the first period, and you're like, oh, that's kind of early for, you know, a 0-0 game in Montreal. But I kind of got the sense that like, he felt like no one had really, you know, it had been like a little bit of a quiet start and no one had really provided the spark on the ice. And I just thought like, he, he was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do to provide the spark. Like, you know, no one's, there hasn't been a big hit. No one's dropped the gloves. No one's, you know, made a great offensive play all right, I'm going to do this and wake you guys up. And, and it, it seemed to work. Like, I thought they finished the first period stronger. It didn't result in a goal quite yet, but, um, but yeah, like I, I think he, he, it was like, all right, this isn't Morgan. Like we're not awake. So I'm just going to try to do something to, to get guys attention. You got to be three moves ahead, Scott. You can't be reactive. You got to be proactive. So he yeah. was, he was trying to think ahead moving the pieces around, tinkering, figuring it out. I want to I, I want to get to a couple of things real quick. Um I want to get to the the state of the Bruins Canadians rivalry and maybe obviously it's kind of at a low point right now. There's not much going on, but um it, maybe there's a there's an idea in my mind that maybe could spark that again going forward. But before that, um what did you guys th- think of i think i know what your your idea might be but we can get to it okay before before we i i think i think you know exactly what i'm thinking (laughs) (laughs) so um 
But before we get to that, Bridget's like, what the hell are you guys talking about? Apparently you're telepathic and I'm just missing <laughs> something. So before- I, I am. This is, this is proven. I said last podcast, I had a gut feeling it was going to be Mark McLaughlin. It wasn't a gut feeling. It was a telepathic feeling. Yeah, no, we I had to make sure he didn't just call up his cousin and, and like get the inside information and pretend he was just a psychic, one of those fake psychics. But no, he might be a real psychic. So we have we just have a psych- quick disclaimer for anyone who doesn't know, I'm actually related to Mark McLaughlin. Just have to clarify yeah, that every time. He, it's not really his cousin, but they're both from Belrica, so and they're both McLaughlin, so they communicate uh, telepathically. So we we have we have uh, we have psychic Scott. But we also have uh, transparent AJ, and I wanted to bring up the AJ Greer interview with Sophia in the intermission. I thought that was a nice interview, um, and Scott knows better than anybody because he did a one-on-one sit-down for the skate pod for like I think it was like seventeen to twenty minutes, and I think Scott only asked for like ten. Um, yeah. And I think you could, I think you he, could he, he would have gone for like an hour and a half. I think. So. <laughs> you could tell like Sophia has like her she has her her questions that she goes to. I think she pencils in like a 45 second interview every intermission, but AJ just took the first question and ran with it. But I wanted to get you guys' uh, opinions on, on, on some of the stuff that he talked about. He talked about, he was basically just talking about, he's a, he's a, he's a native of Quebec. Uh, I think the Montreal area. And yeah. he, was, he was basically asked like what it meant for him to play in Montreal and at the bell center. And he talked about meant the world to him. And that, you know, there was a time in his life where he emptied his bank account to buy tickets to go to a Habs game. But he also talked about just how grateful and cognizant this Bruins team is of just the reality of the world. Like a lot of a lot of athletes, a lot of you know, sports teams or leagues, whatever, they can kind of get caught up in 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 um in their own little world. But he talked about how like the Bruins take a lot of pride in everybody who works within the organization, but also um, for, for everybody outside of the organization, like fans and family and friends who, you know, make everything worthwhile and that they're not oblivious to the fan support on the road games and at home, always having a, having a sold out building. And yes, he talked about all this in a intermission interview. So I just wanted, I thought it was a nice interview. Uh, he's a great person to talk to and I wanted to get you guys' takes on that. Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, you know, you covered all the, the key points there, but it's, we've gotten this vibe from the start. Like I think you definitely heard it. Like when I talked to him, you know, before the season of just how appreciative he is of this opportunity and, you know, of just getting a chance here and, and of like what he's gone through to get here. And um, I think that's where like that appreciation for everyone else around him comes in is because there's, there's been times where he's, needed some help from people around him and needed support and, you know, hasn't been able to do it himself. So, you know, maybe four years ago or whatever, he might not have had that or, or, you know, might not have fully appreciated opportunities that he got or had, you know, wasn't able to take advantage of them. And you get the sense that like, he's just in such a better spot now of knowing um, you know, how easily you can waste an opportunity if you don't really like hone in and, and do what you have to do to, to make the most of it. And I also feel like it's, you know, sort of related to this, like it, it, obviously he's playing more now because of injuries, but 
you know, for a while, it's like he was rotating in and out as 12th, 13th forward. And I think he's really been like a perfect guy for that role because for him, just being on a team like this and sticking in the NHL is huge. And like, he's so appreciative just of having that, that, you know, he's not going to be sulking around if he goes two weeks without playing or something. Um, which I think, you know, I asked Jim Montgomery last week when, when it became clear that like, or it was, I think it was Saturday. Um, when it was clear that Brandon Carlo was going to play Sunday, even after getting banged up. And, you know, I asked, I asked him, I was like, obviously this means it's another chance where Zaboro might've been able to get into the lineup that he didn't, uh, you know, like how tough is this? And Montgomery said, like, it, there was a time where like, it was really tough for like a month or so. Um, you know, he, like he could tell, like it was tough on Zaboro not playing. And he said, he feels like his attitude's gotten better now as he's, kind of come to embrace the fact that he's still a part of this team and like they are going to need him at some point, but like, that's just not, like, you know, Zaboro's a guy who's played at every level he's been at. Like he hasn't been in this role before. Um, so I think, you know, Greer is kind of a good example of like what you want as someone who's spot in the lineup night to night isn't guaranteed. Um, but who's like, obviously he's going to bring it when he does get in. Yeah, and just to, like, put a finishing thought on the Greer stuff, like, he's been very reflective and open um, about, like, it just, you just get the vibe that he's being very genuine, Um, and it's almost like we're seeing him, like, as he realizes, just, like, I don't know if you guys have ever gone through this where you're like, oh, my God, I'm doing it, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, I've been hoping my whole life for this, and you're like, oh, wait, I gotta take a step and just, like, look around and be like, oh, wait, I'm playing at the Bell Center, like, I'm here. It's just another good story, really, if you think about um, the work that he put in to turn things around for himself um, and where he's been able to, you know, get his life to. I think he got engaged in the offseason and got a new puppy, and, like, he's he made the team, and he's just... Um, it's nice to see him get to just reflect and have like a moment. Cause I think he was just having a moment with his own thoughts, but the camera also happened to be in front of him <laughs> with Sophia. So uh, we get to hear a little bit of it. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Mystic McLaughlin, tell me what I was thinking. What's gonna What's gonna spark this Bruins Canadians rivalry? The Canadians winning the lottery and getting Connor Bedard. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. I mean, if you look at Montreal's team, and tonight's a bad example because they had so many guys hurt. I really do think they have some really good pieces, some good young pieces. I think obviously Cole, um, Cole Caulfield is great. Try saying that one quick um nick suzuki's awesome i like i like the uh uh arbor jack eye kid on, on defense for what he brings um they have a hayden hayden or caden Gooley, i think his name is he wasn't playing tonight gallagher's still, still a part of that team they have some pieces is my point um who's a kid they I, got? Like, I like jordan harris kid from northeastern 
go to the next. Was there a Marymount? Even though it's even though that's a uh, rivalry to BU. Was it? Yeah. Was there a second hockey East player out there from Merrimack on defense that Jack said? I think that, I thought Jack said. Yeah, that. Jonathan Kovacevic. Yep. Yeah. He, yep. He's a pretty good player, too. He was talking about how he had a 4.0 GPA yep. and he's a civil engineer or yep. has a degree in civil engineering. Yep. Um, Smarter than this podcast. Who's the, uh, Kirby Docks, a young player they got in a trade? He had two goals tonight. And, uh, and of course, um, uh, Slavkovsky, who they drafted first overall this past year. So, they have some young pieces, and they're also in a position to potentially get um, Connor Bedard. What would you guys think about watching that for the next 15-plus years? Against Bob? Yeah, well, that, that, they're going to be peaking at the opposite time the Bruins are going to be peaking. Like, it could go the swing the other way real quick, and that the Bruins are, like, in a hole, and they're, like, that. you know what I mean? It's just, I it just feels like they're on two teams that are swinging opposite directions. I mean, the Bruins are adamant that that's that's not going to happen, right? That's that's what the big question was going. No, but they, and they won't suck, but it's not going to be like they're not going to be competing at the same time, most likely for like the top the the top spot in the East. Yeah, but they, I mean, they definitely could end up at like the same level. Like Bruins take a little bit of a step back. I don't. Yeah, maybe next season. You know, or Canadians the after. aren't. Canadian is still far ways away from being like a contender, but you know, Bedard would help at least accelerate them back to like playoff contention and, you know, potentially, you know, the next Bruins Canadians playoff series at some point, which we net we've now gone because it's obviously not going to happen this year. will be nine years since they last met in the playoffs. I think That's um, insane. the longest stretch they ever went without missing, without meeting the playoffs was 10 from uh, 58 to 68. So yeah, that's even more impressive though, because there, there was fewer teams. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. And that was just like a stretch where the Bruins sucked. Like, I think they missed the playoffs <laughs> like eight of those years or something. <laughs> and then, then they uh, landed some kid named Bobby Orr and got good again. So to tie a bell back to Connor Bedard, maybe yeah, Connor Bedard's, so. you know, that kind of uh, franchise changing player. Because, you know, the thing that sucks, like, if you're Montreal is they just won the lottery, but they won it in a year where there wasn't a superstar number one. So, yeah. you know, it was all the debate was like Slavkovsky or, or Wright. And obviously, you know, I mean, Wright's back in juniors now. Like, neither one really, at least as a rookie, has made a, a huge impact. I think they both had some struggles. So, um, you know, we'll see how they continue to develop. But neither one was a was a slam dunk like Bedard would be. And, you know, I'm looking at the standings right now, which is why I was just uh, silent for about 10 seconds. But <laughs> Montreal is actually – they're actually 26th in the league, and obviously it's a 32-team league now. So, I mean, behind Montreal in the standings is Vancouver, San Jose, Arizona, Chicago, Columbus, and Anaheim. I'll tell you who the worst team to have Bedard go to as far as um, – for the league long term would be Columbus. No, dis- no yeah. disrespect to Columbus, but that would just be that would be very boring. At least in like Arizona, you could you could you could. I mean, I don't know. I'm not. You, you could. I, <laughs> I don't know if that's a great option either. Well, I, I do think they're trying to like. I do think for the Coyotes though, they're trying to really build what they have in. Te- um, what's the town of Temp- Tempe? Tempe. Yeah. I mean, like you can you can sell you can sell a narrative about you know a franchise savior like yeah if they you know he comes in and they start winning and he keeps the team there like you can build something around that and 
look, I mean, Phoenix is still like a huge market. It's just been mostly untapped in terms of NHL because the Coyotes really haven't been good enough to capitalize on it. And like, you know, if you're the NHL, Montreal, Chicago, like, you know, to have that kid go to an original six, you know, I, I think they would like that. But currently, they rig in the lottery, Brian. Is that what I'm hearing? What's that? They rig in the lottery. Is that what you're? Well, just so happens it, to pop maybe, up Montreal. Maybe they would, except for the fact that the team that's in dead last right now is Anaheim. And give them some sexy new uniforms, bring them back, bring them back to the Muddy Ducks uniforms and stick Bedard with Trevor Zegers for the next 15 years. Yeah. Uh, I think there'd be a couple highlights of those two. So that would be, that, that would be pretty exciting if, if he went to Anaheim for that. Because Anaheim, they'll be good at some point again too. But I, I, There's one thing. I'm pretty sure the Bruins aren't winning the lottery. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't you think could, so. That, you can probably hopefully, put your money on that. <laughs> hopefully they can win a different lottery, and that's called the Stanley Cup because that's, that's the most toughest prize to win. Winning the yes. Cup's harder than winning the last place. Uh, lottery pick, I would say. Yes, but, it um, is. Anyway, so guys, they they do have the ultimate uh, lottery luck guy in Taylor Hall, who's been been there for the uh, lottery draw and won his team the first pick multiple times in his career. That is that is true. It makes you wonder how how Edmonton has been so bad despite having McDavid and Drysdale because they also had like eighteen other first round picks in ten years. So yeah, well, it, Nugent Hopkins was a high draft pick for them, was he not? <laughs> Yeah, he was. At least he's like a respectable player. But like the one that like really like was not great was Neil Yakupov. Yeah, he did, he his, did that his breakout's coming, Brian. He did, <laughs> yeah. he yeah, in the Russian beer league, he did, he did that that celebration at center ice after like a regular season tying goal, and they kicked him out of the league essentially. So <laughs> uh, that was they, he was like touted as like a like a Alex Ovechkin type prospect when he was coming out of uh, Sarnia. Cause like he just, he was kind of like an electric player. He was rushing and he was very enthusiastic and they drew some parallels there, but that didn't work out too well. I think he's uh, filling the water bottles now for his local team, but. Yeah. But just, he, but he ended up a little bit closer to Alex Kokochev. <laughs> yeah. Yakupov wishes. Um, so guys, I don't know if you wanted to dabble in, in the upcoming uh, games that they have, or we could just hold off until they're prevalent and we, we could talk about them. Um, afterwards but i'm gonna throw it to you guys how you want to finish this episode off if uh if we're good to go then we're good to go but up to you guys yeah i think i'm you know we did a little bit of preview on the last podcast so i don't really think we have to do that again but obviously you know you get this one out of the way you get the win and now it's the the stretch of you know the real test the the other contenders in the east where you get tampa then the Florida Panthers, who obviously aren't as good this year as they were last year, but still a good team. Carolina and then Toronto. So that's what you get going into the All-Star break. Um, really good stretch, a really good test. Should be interesting games. I don't have any sort of like detailed preview of them other than just uh, looking forward to watching them. Yeah, we kind of went as in-depth as we could of last podcast, we kind of got carried away talking about like how the matchup with Carolina would be in, in the playoffs. And anyway, yeah, I think, I think we're good. We got, we'll, we'll just record right after that um, Tampa Bay game. Lovely. Well, thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed the uh, Bruins versus Les Habitants and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.